0: Well, as we uh, get started today, let's think about uh, this word devotion. Uh, almost everything in your life, see if this isn't true for you, almost everything in your life competes for your, uh, your devotion. And everyone here is devoted to certain things or devoted to certain people. Uh, you can be devoted to good things, and you can be devoted to bad things. You can be devoted to uh, the right people, and you can be devoted to the wrong people. To be devoted, from a um, definition kind of standpoint, to understand this, to be devoted is to care deeply about something or someone, uh, to be committed to something or someone, and even a sense of loyalty to it. A devotion isn't just that you like it or that you like someone, it's that you pour yourself into This object of your devotion. It is to reorder your priorities and your allegiances. It is to reorder your time and your budget around the someone or the something. To be devoted to someone or something is to be all in. Now we're going to tuck that thought aside because we're going to be talking about devotion here. But this comes to us because we're in the midst of this narrative about this disabled man who was healed. He was at the temple gate. He was begging, as was his uh, habit for uh, some 40 years. And in the first verse of today's passage, we see this man who's just been healed, able to walk now for the first time in his life. He's clinging to the apostles. He's clinging to them as they enter into the temple. And in this decisive moment that we looked at last week... The man's devotion had really changed from a focus on himself to provide for his needs in whatever way he possibly could by begging, a total focus on himself and a devotion to collecting money from from people who are going into the temple. It had changed to a devotion to the worship of God. And the effect of that on, on others is so evident. And what we're going to see here in the people's response and Peter's very short sermon that he preaches here, uh, what we're going to see is a challenge to live a life of comparable devotion. Are you and I devoted to Jesus Christ as this man was? Are you devoted to Jesus Christ or are you devoted to something or someone else? that's what we're going to go after. Uh, Let me read the text. This is Acts chapter 3, 11 through to the end of the chapter. You follow along in your Bibles as I read this. Acts Acts 3, sorry, 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, He addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. And you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray together. Father, we need you to sanctify this time set it apart for your purposes and your glory. As we often pray, we're a desperate people and we have failed this week again. We have stumbled and tripped up and Father, we need um, this time. We need to hear from you. We need it to worship as we did a few moments ago. We need it to be together as the church. And so Father, please, Move by your Holy Spirit in this place. Speak to us clearly from your word. Let there be no hindrance to the prompt obedience to the things that we hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? You ready for this? Yeah, you have no idea. But I appreciate your faith. Here we go. Here's the declaration. I will demonstrate my devotion to Christ by. Some evidences of that and all stated in the negative. I will demonstrate my devotion to Christ by first, not ignoring his evident work. Now, I'll admit that the miracle of this healing has a, you know, you you read about this and you can just imagine putting yourself in the situation. It has this like incredible magnetism uh, to it, obviously for the man who was healed, but also for all of these people who knew him and for decades had seen him there at the temple begging. Now they see him standing and walking. And we know from the passage last week, even leaping into the temple So it's not surprising at all that the reaction that we see here in verse 11 is that this man who's been healed is clinging to Peter and John. And that in fact all the people, the statement here is that they're utterly astounded. They're amazed. They're they're in awe of what they've just seen happen in front of them. And, And in fact, he's not the only one running and leaping and praising God. They're all now running together as a mob toward the apostles. No one could ignore God's evident work. No one could ignore what had just happened. And devotion, listen, devotion to Christ requires an ability to actually notice what God is doing. And if you're predisposed, because some of us are, okay, if you're predisposed toward dismissing the work of God's Holy Spirit, if you are predisposed toward explaining things away, if you are predisposed toward denying that God is working in people's lives, or if you are a cynic who needs to criticize everything, then you will not be able to demonstrate your devotion to Christ. Instead, instead of all of those things, instead what we ought to be bringing is this, you should be praying with anticipation for God to work. I mean, I know that many of you probably prayed this morning before you came here. I sure hope you did. I hope you didn't just roll out of bed and make yourself some breakfast and have a shower and get dressed and hop in the car and come here, not having at least uttered a quick prayer to the Lord. I won't ask for hands. But, but we should be praying in advance of being here together with God's people. I'm not saying that's just an, even a Sunday prayer. We should be praying, God, I anticipate. I want to see you work. I want to see something happen today that is so evidently God's Holy Spirit so that no one here could take credit for it. I want to see that. I, I want to pray an anticipatory prayer. Or, or how about this? Instead, if we're going to show our devotion to Christ and not ignore his evident work, we should be involved in the, pe- in the lives of people who are praying the same kind of prayer. I Man, I just want to hang out with people and have friendships with people who are praying that God does something awesome in our midst. I don't want to spend a lot of time with the, the cynics and the critics and the people who are explaining everything away and dismissing it and denying it. Or, or, or maybe I need to be looking for stories of transformation and redemption around me. I need to be watching for that in my small group and in my ministry groups and in my family. I need to be watching for those stories and reading about them and, and hearing about what God is doing. And then I just wrote down that I need to be sharing with others how God is working in and through my own life stopping people and saying, you know what God did for me this week? I was praying about this and God spoke and this person came along and this blessing happened and we just saw God work in a way we weren't even anticipating. And I want you to know it. Would you pray with me and thank God for that? I mean, that's, that's how we're going to show greater devotion to Christ by not ignoring the very evident thing. I'm telling you, God is doing all kinds of things in this church. In the people in this church. And we need to see it and not ignore his evident work. Here's the second one. I will demonstrate my devotion to Christ by not denying the hard truth. Not denying the hard truth. Now, of course, Peter is going to use this opportunity. He's not going to miss this opportunity. He's missed some other ones. He's not going to miss this opportunity that God is setting up for him. He has a gathering crowd. That he knows they're running toward him. So he's not going to squander the opportunity to preach to them. Verse 12 tells us to preach the gospel and to point this this crowd to Jesus Christ once again. But every time he does that, he has to say some hard things to them. So he makes it abundantly clear and he asks them, well, why do you wonder at this? You see that in verse 12. Why do you wonder at this? Why are you staring at us as though by our own power or our own piety? You know, we're so holy. God, of course, is going to be using us in this way. It's not our own power. It's not our own piety that we have made him walk. It's it's not us. This is 100% God at work. It's all Jesus. And so he points him to that. Verse 13, he takes him. Remember, he's talking to a a Jewish crowd, His, his, his brothers and sisters, And and he's saying to them, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers, he's taking them back to the Old Testament scriptures. He's reminding them, and he will even later on in the message, he's reminding them that they all have these prophetic words that were spoken to them about Jesus. And he says, they all glorified his servant, Jesus. All the prophets spoke to it. God himself is glorifying his son. So there's to be no doubt about who this is all about and that the scriptures pointed exclusively to him. So that's a starting point. And then he says the hard thing. You see it next in verse 14, or actually verse 13 continues, whom you, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. He really is going to call them out here. you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. The the Roman guy, the governor who oppresses you, the pagan Roman guy wanted to release your Messiah back to you. He's telling these Jews that are listening to him, he's telling them, you're worse than the Romans. Romans. He's not trying to make friends. Evidently. Verse 14. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, Jesus, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Now here's the irony. Verse 15. And you killed the author of life. You asked for a murderer to be released and you became murderers yourself. The good news is kind of tagged right on the end of this. Whom God raised from the dead. Now listen, if you're trying to be friends, win someone over, convince them of what you believe, build a thing, you know, build a thing, that people want to belong to, telling them they're liars and murderers might not be the best strategy. Agreed? You know the old expression, you catch more flies with than with, correct, vinegar, okay? Catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. In other words, um, you know, sweetness trumps acidity. Always, always be nice. Always be nice. But I don't even know what that even means, always be nice. I mean, am I I being nice to you? I could be nice to you today. But am I being nice to you if I withhold truth? Are we being kind to people if we don't give them the hard news that needs to be spoken? This church was founded on a principle, grounded in the Bible, and stated it in our first pillar. We're going to throw it up on the screen here. It's on the wall in the West Lobby. It's on our website. It's been around since the very beginning. We inherited it from our mother church, and it was written in the way that it's written because of what we had seen happening in the church, because we had seen so many Christians beginning to equivocate on the clear pronouncements of the word of God. The reality is that hasn't really changed very much and that's why it remains a pillar of what we're doing here at harvest proclaiming the authority of god's word without apology proclaiming the authority of god's word without apology too many churches still are not proclaiming too many churches are certainly not bringing the authority of god's word Too many Christians are seeking to proclaim the word, even if they are, but they're trying to do it apologetically, as if that's the way we be nice to a world and build a church. The without apology part means we're not going to round off the edges of truth. We're not going to sugarcoat the truth. We're not going to leave anything out. And you know, I'm not a smiley pastor telling you things that give you warm fuzzies and allow you to check off the met with God box this week. Paul said this, in fact, this is in 2 Timothy 4.3. Remember, he's writing to a pastor. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Whatever you're devoted to, I just want to be nice to you and tell you that's okay. So I'm going to surround myself with preachers and teachers who are going to help you, help me feel good about the devotions and the passions that I have in my life. I'm going to listen to people. I'm going to listen to teachers and authors and counselors and gurus who tell me what I want to hear and will feed my natural devotion to things that satisfy me. I don't want anything offensive or hard. I want to hear things that make me feel good about myself. Does that sound about right? A time is coming, Paul said. And I say, that time's now. We live in a time and a place, in fact, where every effort is being made by the culture around us to not offend. True? True? which is impossible, by the way. You cannot achieve zero offense. It is absolutely impossible. Someone is always being offended. And it's those in power, those who are the cultural influencers, who get to decide who is offended and who is not. So let's just admit that. There's nothing surprising or new about any of that. And as Christians, we should already have a firm grip on this. The very nature of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and of the gospel that we possess and proclaim, the very nature of that is offensive. I know that it brings life. It, It sure does. But it doesn't bring life apart from the hard truth that's attached to that. In fact, uh, Peter wrote in his first letter, this is 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8, that to those who do not believe, those who are outside the church and are not Christians, to those who do not believe, Jesus and his gospel, Peter writes, is a stone of stumbling and a rock of, do you know the word? Offense. They stumble, Peter goes on to say, because they disobey the word. By the very nature of our ministry and our message, we offend. And by the way, this is why the the actual character, that's kind of the mission and, and mission focus of it. That's why the character of the church, Jesus says, needs to be love. Why we need to be known for our love for one another and our love for the unsaved world because we know we have this very difficult message that we have to share with them. So Peter's saying, "I can't leave out the hard truth. We're all sinners." And he says it in this really stark, cutting, sharp way. "You killed, you killed the author of life." He didn't mean that just for that crowd that had assembled that day in Solomon's portico. I mean, he meant you and I to hear that, too please don't think that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is something that we lay on the Jewish people in the first century or that we put on Pilate because he wasn't strong enough to say no to them. It's not just the people who were there on that day who crucified him. You and I killed the author of life. That's, that's the hard news. And Peter continues in verse 15 to this where witness is. You denied him and killed him. And then he relates it to the miracle that had just been done. Because he didn't want it to be just about the miracle. That was the thing that attracted this crowd in order to hear this message. So he says in verse 16, in his name, by faith in his name, speaking of Jesus, he has made this man, that was the disabled man, strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. But that's not the thing. I get that that's the thing that's attracted you, but that's not the thing. This is, this, is, this is the part they liked. Of course they did. Look at this guy. I passed him for decades. I gave him money. I felt so bad for him. Couldn't walk. His, his family had to carry him and put him there every day. I felt so bad for him. I feel so good for him. It's such an awesome thing. And by the way, I think I'll run together with this crowd to Jesus because maybe, so, maybe I'll get something. Maybe some blessings going to come my way. I kind of have an ache in my back. I need some healing too. There's something going on in my life. I'm underemployed. I got all these issues going on. I could use a little healing. I could use a little blessing. I could use a little something from Jesus. Everybody wants this thing to happen to them. And Peter's saying this cool miracle that you're all attracted to, it points to the hard truth. Don't fixate on the nice part without also hearing the hard part because it just doesn't work that way. Here's a third one. Devotion to Christ also means not rejecting his generous offer. Now, once you have this hard truth delivered, you can hear the kind and generous offer that God makes to him, and and you can hear grace in what Peter says next. In fact, if you have your pen out and your Bible's open, just write the word grace beside verse 17. And now, brothers, I know, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, This is really the first indication, there's a a kind of a shift happening in Peter's preaching here, even from the day of Pentecost, there's a shift here where there's a little bit more gentleness and a little bit more grace to understand that there was something far greater going on here. He's willing to say to them, you know, in the the fog of war there was so much confusion and, and things happened and you didn't really realize what you were doing. And I wonder if at this point, Peter, maybe prompted by the Holy Spirit, was thinking back to something Jesus said on the cross. Luke 23, 34. Remember Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them for crucifying your son. Forgive them for crucifying me. Forgive them for the scourgings for the beatings, for the crucifixion. Forgive them for the denials, for calling out for my death. Forgive them, Father. They don't have a clue. And so Peter extends this grace this undeserved unearned favor and and from that the offer comes god's not going to leave us in this spiritual predicament of being sinners and also as sinners being guilty of killing the author of life verse 18 but what god foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his christ the messiah would suffer he thus fulfilled so you and i we crucified jesus And Satan, though he's not mentioned in this passage, we know from other passages, Satan was an agent throughout the whole thing, influencing human beings and opposing the Son of God. We're guilty. Satan was an agent. But God ordained it all. God set up the whole plan to redeem us. And so our response must be singular. Simple. Verse nineteen. Repent. Repent, therefore. And then he kind of defines repentance when he says, Turn back. That your sin your sins may be blotted out. And there's that's the offer. That's the offer. Repent. Repentance we have defined many times, and again it's hinted at right here. Agree with God. Two parts to it. Repentance is agree with God and turn from your way of doing it to his. Your way of living to his. Turn from the things, since we're talking about devotion, turn from the things that you are currently devoted to. To all out devotion to Jesus Christ. Cling to him. As the newly healed lame man clung to the apostles. Run to him as the crowds ran toward the apostles. And the benefit is life-changing and eternal for us. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Having Christ in your life means, and I hope you're living this, if you're a Christian, I hope you're living times of refreshing. This word means, uh, this is one of the lexicons says that refreshing means this, write this down. Relief, relief from distressful, burdensome circumstances. Refreshing means relief from distressful, burdensome circumstances. Do I need to survey you this morning to ask if you have any distressful, burdensome circumstances in your life currently? Do I need to survey you? Should I just assume the answer is yes for all of us? Is that fair? Every one of us can point to something distressful happening in our lives right now. Every one of us can look and say, I have a burden in my life right now. Life is hard. Life is hard for everyone. Please don't think that your brand of suffering, whatever it is, everybody's got something. Please do not think that your brand of suffering needs to be put against someone else's for some kind of comparison. Whatever suffering you're bearing and you think it's unmanageable, it's wearisome, it's crushing you. Please understand that the person sitting behind you and in front of you and to your right and left, they have something as well. And if they don't precisely have it right now, it's in their past and they bear the scar tissue or it's coming for them that next week. Jesus said, In this world, you will have trouble. And so foremost in Peter's mind as he preaches this is, of course, the sin and salvation issue. They needed to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that has to be offered to people, the forgiveness of sins in Christ. Quite apart from our circumstances, that matter must be solved first. Roger and our biblical soul care team, Steph, and, and the others will tell you. We really can't offer you anything in terms of counseling. That's why this isn't just counseling. If you're coming into the office and you're going to meet with one of our biblical soul care workers, listen, we can't just give you a set of principles to improve your marriage if you don't already have Jesus Christ. The first thing that must be solved is that you are devoted to him. The principles that we offer you in God's word are based on the premise that you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And so, that problem must be solved first, then having Christ, we tackle all the other distressful, burdensome circumstances of life. Addictions, and relational conflict, and financial pressures, and health concerns, and and death of loved ones, and the grief we bear. God wants to relieve us of all of that. And so, He has made us an incredibly generous offer. And for some here, it's time to take him up on his offer and to give your life to Jesus Christ. I don't know why you would delay. You're not guaranteed another minute on this planet and you could breathe your last this afternoon. Give your life to Christ and find the forgiveness of sins and the, the, the relief that he's offering here. But for many Christians in the room, Could I be forward with you? Like I need permission? (laughs) For many Christians in the room, you accepted Christ so long ago. It's it's time for you to start living like you're actually devoted to him. Because many of you who profess faith in Jesus Christ are still not living in in a manner in which it shows that you're actually devoted to Christ. It's time to step up. To take him up on his offer and to find times of refreshing in your devotion to him. All right, a couple more to go. I'll also demonstrate my devotion to Christ by not disregarding, not disregarding his authoritative word. We've kind of talked about this already a little bit, and Peter points to the return of Christ in verse 21. But I want you to see how many times he just, he's talking about the word, he's talking about speaking, he's talking about listening to it. Verse 21, the time for restoring all things. Okay, that's the return of Christ. Notice, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me, referring to Jesus. He's going to raise him up from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And then the warning about what happens when you don't listen to Jesus and his word and and this is, this, is from, uh, this is Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. It shall be, verse 23, it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet, does not listen to the word of God, shall be destroyed from the people. Then he wraps it up, verse 24, all the other prophets, all of them spoke and proclaimed the same message. And Peter's reminding his, his Jewish hearers that God's word prophesied and predicted all of this and that rejecting what God said, disregarding his authoritative word, results in being destroyed in your sin, eternally separated from God. And that obviously has huge implications for the unsaved. But again, to come back to the challenge that I just laid on you, a repeated pattern Listen now, a repeated pattern of disregarding the word on the part of a professing believer indicates a lack of devotion to Christ and perhaps a lack of true faith in Christ. I mean, those outside the church dismiss the Bible... They, they see this as a collection of fairy tales and myths that it's rife with errors and inconsistencies. And I think we all understand that people outside the church understand the Bible to be like that. We all get it. But what about those of us inside the church? We expect them to disregard the authoritative word of God. But what about us? Do we disregard the Bible? Here's here's some ways that we disregard the Word of God. I disregard the Word by, one, not reading it regularly. You can't say that you have regard for the Word, that you cherish it, and that you live by it, if you never read it. There has to be in the life of every true believer a habit, a holy habit and a pattern of devotion of reading God's word. Because he's my father and he saved me through the blood of his son and he loves me so much and I just want to hear his voice. Jeremiah said this, Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I'm called by your name, O Lord. We should be devouring the word of God and savoring the word of God. We we should be finding our hunger satisfied in consuming the word of God. We disregard the word by not reading it. We disregard the word of God by hearing it and not doing it. So even if you're reading it yourself, even if you're coming and hearing a message, do you hear it and not do it? How many sermons have you heard that have had clear application Where it's been super abundantly clear that this applies to something that's going on in my life right now. And there can be no doubt about that. And I walk out the doors and out to my car and drive away and I've already forgotten about it. James wrote this in his letter. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it's sin. It's actually, this James four seventeen verse tells us that we're actually compounding sin on top of each other. I have the original sin. I was sitting in church, I have this sin. I heard the preacher speak, I heard a message, I knew it applied to that. And then I walked out the door and I didn't do anything about it. So I still have the original sin. And now I got the, I knew the right thing to do and didn't do it. And that's a sin that I have just piled on top of it. I disregard the word by not reading it regularly, not hearing and doing it. How about this one? Using it carelessly. Misinterpretation, the misuse of scripture to support your own opinion of things or to justify choices that you've made. It's so imperative that we study the word of God carefully. It's why we, you know, like the stock and trade of what we do here is verse by verse through the scriptures. I don't want to just like jump over here and grab a verse and jump over there and grab a verse and tie it all together. Because I was so clever to come up with this topical series that really stirs people up. And, but you have no idea. Did he use that verse correctly? Did he use that one correctly? It's just kind of hunt and peck around the scriptures and assemble it all together in this glorious little uh, puzzle where you go, wow, that was a wonderful message. No, verse by verse. So we can see the development of the entire, the entire body of what, in this case, what Luke is saying. We, we studied the entire gospel of Luke so that we wouldn't skip anything. We'd hear it all. You'd see how it's interpreted. You'd see how one thing is building upon another and all the principles together. And we went right from Luke and into the book of Acts because we want to see the same thing. We want to be able to say in a couple of years' time, we want to be able to say, we studied the entirety of everything Luke said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. we want to treat the word of God right. You know, all the Iwana kids know this verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Again, Paul, you know, talking to his pastoral protege. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. What's the defining characteristic of this worker? Rightly handling the word of truth. One more under this topic. I disregard the word, not reading it regularly, not hearing it, and not do, uh, hearing it and not doing it, using it carelessly, and then treating it like any other book. You know, Indigo opened up a new bookstore in the South End. It's gorgeous. It's going to be super awesome when the Starbucks there is open as well. Do a little <laughs> of both. It's just another book, though. The Bible. I go. So, you know, almost the first place I'll go. Go and check the spirituality section. Look at the religion section. Check out. See what they have there. They have a bunch of things. They have a lot more Christian fiction than, you know, other stuff. Y'all like your fake stories around Christian themes. It's a nice bookstore. But the Bible's just one other book in the spirituality section, that's all. But it can't be that to you and me, it can't be just another book. It can't be just another book because, you know, the the preacher in in Hebrews, he said that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now listen, I've read a lot of books. I've read the backs of a lot of books. You know, before you buy a book, you read the back of the book to see who endorsed it and and get a little summary of it and you read it. And of all the books I've ever read and all the backs of books and all the endorsements I've ever seen and all the reviews of books I've ever seen, None of them, not one of them has claimed to be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Not one of them claims to discern the thoughts and intentions of my heart. Only the word of God says this. And we need to demonstrate our devotion to Christ by cherishing his Word, and my guess is that there's a need for some repentance in this room concerning the Word of God. Sadly, I have one more. Finally, show your devotion by not forgetting His long standing promise. Everything God was doing, we've seen already, was prophesied. God made a promise right after humanity's fallen into sin. And God repeated that promise throughout history through the prophets that a Savior would come. Peter reminded his hearers about that. Verse 25, he reminded them about Abraham saying, And in your offspring, this was the promise that was given to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. A Savior for the whole world would come from Israel. In verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first. He's speaking to his Jewish brothers and sisters. God sent Jesus to you first. To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. God gave you the privilege of the first crack at being saved. Absolutely consistent with what we see in that mission that Jesus gave to the apostles in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You're going to be my witnesses where Jerusalem and Judea among the Jewish people and then Samaria. And then to the end of the earth, you're going to go with this message It's for everyone. But it's starting here. It's a promise he made and he kept. And every one of God's promises is rock solid. Second Corinthians one says this for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And for that reason, we devote our lives to him. No politician can keep their promises. Even with the sincerest intent and deepest love, Spouses and parents and friends and children will fumble and forget and fail to keep promises. If you think that some career is gonna fulfill a promise for you, if you think that the pursuit of some leisure will complete you, if you think the accumulation of wealth somehow will satisfy you, they won't. They won't keep their promises. They'll all fail and they'll all leave us empty. None of these things can keep their promise and none is worthy of the devotion that is reserved exclusively for our God. But God is faithful and God will keep his promises and devotion given to Jesus Christ is well placed and guaranteed, in fact, to give us eternal benefit. So let me ask, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? Let it be Christ alone. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, this um, is and has been a challenging word uh, for me as well. can't imagine any of us would escape the gaze of our God, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of sin. I can't imagine there's any of us here who would be uh, free of having to do some business with you over our devotion. There's no possible way anyone here is 100% devoted. Until the day we breathe our last and and then finally see you with our own eyes in eternity. It's going to be a battle. And so God, help us by your Holy Spirit. Give us strength. Give us resolve. Convict us clearly in our lives of the very specifics of what we've talked about here today. Help us to live fully for you, Father, in all things. wholly devoted to Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray, amen.